Hi, I'm Kathy Rushing, host of the podcast, Committed, The Entrepreneur Marriage. If your middle name is Restless and you identify with words like innovator, dreamer, changemaker, creative, independent, or you are married to an entrepreneur or heaven help you, you're both entrepreneurs, this podcast is for you. The entrepreneurial journey can be a little wild at times, like uncharted territory. Join me as I talk with others who are at various stages of the entrepreneur process. We'll explore the wisdom and insights they have gained while navigating the ups and downs of the entrepreneur journey. You'll discover that there are many couples who have found ways to thrive in both their marriage and business. I'm joined today by Drew and Sarah Hiss, empty nesters who recently moved to Colorado where two of their adult children live. Drew and Sarah started a payroll and HR technology solutions company from their basement with two little kids. They bootstrapped this business and knew they had to make it work when Sarah lost her job soon after. They added two more kids and Sarah transitioned to full-time mom as Drew focused on growing CheckDate Solutions. Though there were many challenges, the company was one of Kansas City's top 100 fastest growing companies for nine years in a row. And the company was twice named one of the Greater Kansas City Chamber of Commerce Best Businesses. CheckDate Solutions merged with a payroll industry leader in 2008. Drew stepped away from the day-to-day operations but remained on the board for eight years. As almost every entrepreneur does, Drew started another venture in 2015 with his business partner, Dan Cooper. Acumen was started with the desire to help business owners leverage the influence of their business platform for eternal impact. That's from their Amazon bio for the book Sharpen, a guidebook for business ownership and adventures in leadership by Dan Cooper and Drew Hiss. Drew and Sarah give us a glimpse into their entrepreneurial journey and insights into ways they have made their marriage a priority. This was take two of the interview. We spent a wonderful evening at their new home just before the world shut down back in late February was the interview. Um, I did a live interview and seriously, I don't know what happened to the recording, but Mark tells me now I'm a real podcaster because everyone he listens to has had that happen at least once. I don't know if that's supposed to make me feel better or not, but anyway, that's what happened. I was so relieved that Drew and Sarah agreed to a do-over. Thanks guys so much. Now let's get to this interview. Good morning, Drew and Sarah, my guests today from Evergreen, Colorado. How are you guys doing? Terrific. Doing great. Wonderful. Having us on this morning. Absolutely. I have been looking forward to this so much. Give us a little bit of context before we get into your story. How long have you guys been married? Kids? Where are you living now? Just a little slice of what life looks like currently for you. Yeah, for sure. You want to do it? You get to speak first because you know I'll speak a lot later. I know. And I'm sitting here as you're asking that question. It's like, how long has it been? 30 or 31 years? (laughs) 31 years. That's what I thought. 30 weeks. 31 years. Congratulations. Thank you. 
We have four children that are 26, 25, 23, and 21. Um, so, yeah. Three boys and a girl. Princess bringing up the rear. So she's the yep. last. So 21 to 26. Okay. Gotcha. And the 26 year old will be 27 in just mere weeks. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's always well, changing, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> You guys moved recently. Tell us a little bit about where you are and and we, how. We uh, um, raised our family in Kansas City. Had a business, started a business in Kansas City. Um, well, started more than one business in Kansas City. Recently moved to um, Evergreen, Colorado. To our oldest two boys live in Denver, and so we are um, still very involved with our current business. And um, but we're doing it out of Evergreen. In fact, that is our view out of our window. That is Mount Heaven. <laughs> so, so gorgeous. <laughs> and we just a moved ago, here. Back when there was still snow. Right. Yeah. We moved here right before the COVID. So then we were kind of housebound for a while, but we're starting to get to know the town of Evergreen slowly. Yeah. So that's really hard when you're brand new and trying to meet people. Yeah. What led to get, you moving? Get, good fortune of having some connections here and there's interestingly some uh quite a bit of cross-pollination between the evergreen community and kansas city with a variety of uh, uh different i call it ministry uh organizations really? and some crossover it's kind of been fascinating in that so we've benefited from that uh i'll tell you though that we finally went out and ate at a restaurant last night and were served a meal so it was kind of fun <laughs> to uh finally enjoy that virtue of being out here in Evergreen. Isn't that crazy? The seemingly yep. small things that we will never take for granted again. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mark and I went out to a meal in Grand Lake probably two or three weeks ago. It was the very first day they had opened for dining in Colorado and there were all of three tables. So we were all spaced out, but it just, it was such a treat. It really right. was. What brought you guys to Colorado? You know, I would say that it was a combination of things, not really just any one thing. I would tell you at a high level, it's been a dream of ours. We've traveled out here for decades with our kids and and uh, even before kids have always enjoyed uh, just vacationing and sightseeing and enjoying the beauty of Colorado, God's creation. Uh, you know, it's always been a place where I've, I personally have felt just closer to God when I'm here and uh, being up in the mountains and the vistas and the magnificence of the creation. And uh, and then thirdly, you know, would be the opportunity to move toward an aspirations of, of launching our uh, business in the front range, expanding it in the front range area. And then uh, and then lastly, having a couple of uh, children that live out here with their spouses and beginning their young adult lives is, is also a treat. We get to see them quite a bit more now, obviously, <laughs> you know, they're both uh, down in the city. Uh, it's been terrific. It's, that's been a great uh, benefit. Good, good. Well, welcome. Welcome to Colorado. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we've been married 31 years. Tell me a little bit about when you guys first married. Were you in college or did y'all meet in the nursery at church? <laughs> y'all are yeah. so young. We oh, met um, our last semester of our senior year of college. We both went to the University of Kansas and uh, we met in our first date was Friday, December the 13th. Oh, great. Um, and it was just love at first sight. 
But we we dated for three years before we married. Drew went on to grad school and I started working and we dated for three years before we got married. But so we were out of college. Okay. But you met in college. And so in those early conversations, dating and early marriage, what did work look like for you then? What did work look like? Uh, Like, what did you think about work? Did you at all see yourself as an entrepreneur at that point? Well, I don't think that was the case so much. You know, I, I um, certainly was aspiring to pursue, you know, a, a vocation. And then, frankly, the reason I went to grad school was because the uh, particular degree I was pursuing in undergrad was, was an industry, represented an industry that was in absolute the tank at the time I graduated. So I began what to was, What was that, Drew? My undergrad was in geology, so I was trying to get into exploration, uh, uh, geology, petroleum, and so forth. And uh, the energy business was just at a low, low, low spot in 86. So I uh, decided to go ahead and attend grad school for business, got an MBA, which felt like broadened my options at that point. And I think, you know, for work, work looked like a, a lot like at that age for me, um, engaging with a, you know, strong company that I could help grow and be part of a, you know, winning team and, and make a great contribution and begin to create a, you know, a, a, a you know, a, a lifestyle for Sarah and I and our family. And I think when we really uh, began to deepen in our relationship, it became apparent that we wanted to have a bunch of kids. We wanted to have the option at some point of being able to um, uh, have a full-time mom on the case and have the option of doing that. And, and uh, that was a real driver for, I would tell you for some of the entrepreneurial dreams that, that manifested uh, subsequent to early days of career pursuits. So the, the entrepreneurial uh, bug, I would say didn't bite until several years after, after college and realizing that corporate world really was going to ultimately be a difficult place for us to to realize some of the dreams we wanted to realize and uh, I also felt like gosh until I uh, you know uh, um, uh, may not be the most employable individual out there I'm pretty kind of maverick in a lot of ways and so you know Drew is not an Indian he is a chief yeah I, I think that could be said for a lot of entrepreneurs don't you is that they really are unemployable not that they can't do the work, but they just don't. be a terrible uh, or negative connotation. It's just a, you, you get that natural uh, disgruntled, um, what we call it, smoldering discontent. Uh-huh. And eventually it kind of pours out as a, a, gee, I want to pursue something, a dream on my own. And and uh, that took on several different variations in the beginning. And, you know, so much of our journey together and that, 31 years after the first four, maybe five, six years has been entrepreneurial and very much, you know, business ownership and trudging through the, uh, the, you know, the pros and cons, the challenges and, and opportunities and virtues and the pitfalls of, of owning a business. Yeah. So Sarah, you said you, you guys married and you both went to work. What were you doing? early on, Sarah? I was working for a uh, video production company. I was um, a director and producer for corporate videos, training videos, things like that. But I would never say that I was ever a career person. I always saw myself as wanting to be a mom 
and raising kids. Uh, so for me in the beginning, it was just kind of a, I'm just going to park here and wait and see what happens and could, you know, contribute some to our uh, mm -hmm. income, but not really wanting a big career. That was just never one of my dreams. Okay. But it was also a little scary once. Uh... Well, and so, you know, we actually ventured out on our own in the, those early days. And not too long after I uh, quit my role, resigned from the company I was working with and gave up that, I call secure salary, mm -hmm. uh, that Sarah's company uh, folded. So we oh. went dual income, essentially dual income, no kids to to um, uh, no income, two kids in this little season of about two years. And uh, it was scary. You know, it forced us into some corners we had to come out fighting from. And uh, a lot of scar tissue, a lot of uh, peanut butter, jelly, ramen noodles, and tuna casserole. And uh, <laughs> so, it, you know, it, we, uh, we, we had to scrum. You know, it was, that's part of the journey and, and uh, you know, being, you know, within a, a an inch or two of declaring a bank, you know, bank, personal bankruptcy and folding our, our, our entrepreneurial venture and closing up shop and moving on with our tail between our legs was, was all out there. It was all yeah. on the table. And I think it's so good. And part of the reason I want to draw out these stories for our listeners is especially right now in the middle of this pandemic, and I have heard from several sources that there will be a lot of new entrepreneurs coming out of this time. People that maybe never thought of themselves as entrepreneurs, but maybe they've lost their job or they've realized, you know what, if I could just find something that would even just replace my income, that might be a good thing. So we want to hear all of that story. So what was, what was this first business, this first entrepreneurial venture? once Sarah lost her job or her company closed? Yeah, I would say it was really a part of our, um, you know, not because all this could get down in the weeds as we think through some of that. But this particular was the situation was the ultimate business that we, you know, continued to see flourish long term. But at the time we had really just launched and invested capital, uh, made the strategic decision to give up, you know, full-time occupation and really, you know, jump off the into the deep end and really anticipated that her company would, she could, you know, contribute part-time while we got this started, but that right. her company would still, uh, you know, produce some income through her role there and that we would be able to uh, have a little bit more of an on-ramp that gave us some, you know, some lifestyle. And so... Uh, <laughs> but that, that business that we kicked off was a payroll processing right. company right. that we started in our basement. And it was just the two of us. And Drew would be in his boxer shorts making phone calls. And I'm, like, I'm over in the corner laughing. How can you take yourself seriously and get a pair of boxer shorts and a cup of coffee? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, before Joe, you days... can come do business with us. Yeah, Dressed and before the, the days of Zoom, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you had two kids at that point. Did you have a business plan? Oh yeah. Okay. All right. We had, had uh, we had gone out and raised raised funds, uh, raised funds from the SBA. We raised funds from fam friends uh, friends and family, and uh, you know it was just good old bootstrapping. Uh, had had nothing to begin with, and started at zero, and 
And uh, we quickly learned the business plan was, you know, a pipe dream and <laughs> it's guidelines. We were way off estimating the amount of startup time. We were way off estimating the amount of capital required. We were way off um, yeah, estimating the virtue of the, the solution provider that we had partnered with along technology. And uh, it, that really turned out to be a, a, a fail point that we had to make some modifications and really re-engineer our business in order to uh, survive. So, you know, navigating that technology water was a big part of our on-ramp as well and understanding what in the market really competed with the large national competitors and and uh, ultimately finding a technology partner that allowed us to, to, to uh, perform at a high level for our clients. There's so many, you know, unique stories inside of that that, yeah. that uh, are so formative for how we ended up in a place of uh, ultimately being able to really grow and scale the company. Mm-hmm. But that that uh, early couple of years was just awful in, in terms of, you know, that journey. And I look back at it, though, and go, hey, that still was that still was such a formative part of, you know, what uh, I became as a leader, uh, how much our company was able to flourish in the market, how we were able to build equity value how we were able to ultimately leverage that business platform for impact in the lives of the people we served as employees, customers, vendors, you know, uh, industry partners out in the market through our association and so forth. And, and then ultimately it's led, uh, you know, toward a path and in, in the work uh, I engage in today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have two questions. I want to, I hope I can hang on to them. One is we talk to a lot of young people, young adults that are thinking about having their own business, starting something, but they can't figure out what to start. Now you went through from geology to payroll processing. Can you tell us just a little bit about why, why that, how did you get into that field? Was that your passion or did it just make sense? You know, it didn't, it probably didn't make a lick of sense, frankly, the, uh, the what was behind it and uh, was, you know, after I got out of grad school, I had uh, three different uh, organizations I worked for, but during that, during that journey of these different jobs, I, I started to build some knowledge base around, Hey, here's, here's a way to you know, build equity. If I'm going to start a new business, I want to find something that creates residual, repetitive, repeat income. I don't, I don't want to start over at zero every year, if you will. How do I build a book of business that we continue to build on each year? And and you're accumulating. You're not just you know, uh, literally kind of at the beginning of every year you're starting at zero. And mm-hmm. and so that whole idea of uh, recurring and uh, repeat income and building a, a, a base of customers that, you know, would be a book of business that would continue to, you could continue to build on year after year after year, assuming you provided good services and value and responsiveness and accuracy and all those things. And uh, that was what drove us toward that particular business that we ultimately selected to dive into. Was I passionate about being in the outsourced uh, human capital management technology space? No, uh, I would tell you it's kind of ironic that Sarah and I ended up in that because neither of us are detail-oriented people. Uh, <laughs> we don't love spreadsheets. We don't have account training as accountants. There's nothing about the two of us that would make 
anybody go, yep, you guys would be great at the outsource. <laughs> it, it was an absolute disaster from that standpoint. But I think that's where God comes in and just starts laughing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, who's to say what you're good or not good at? Uh, what we became passionate about in that journey was providing exceptional customer service experience. And that's what became uh, our blue ocean in our industry. Okay. And uh, so we, you know, I love running after blue ocean opportunities. I love running after areas that, uh, you know, are being underserved by potentially large national customer or uh, large national providers. I do think finding something you're passionate about certainly helps. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we, what we, you know, ultimately over time became uh, in, uh, entrenched with was this idea around customer experience being the di differentiator. And, and so that drove how we went to market. It drove the types of solutions we rolled out to the, to the uh, customers we served and the, the types of people we hired to put on our team. And, and so it really became the, you know, the heartbeat of our organization. And it, it allowed us to be one of the top growth companies in our region of the country nine consecutive years in one of the rating services and uh, ultimately one of the top players in our industry nationally. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's more to that story, certainly, but uh, sure. uh, we'll dig in. You know, the essence of this is more about the marriage piece and, and, and how that uh, was a big part of, you know, building our company as well. Yes. Well, and what I really look for is the intersection, you know, so yeah. there's the business that's starting growing and then if you're married, you cannot divorce yourself from that business. And so let's go back to where you are with two little kids, Sarah. Uh-huh. Your company has folded. Drew has already launched the company at this point? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what are you doing to stay sane? And how did you guys grow your marriage in what could have blown some marriages apart? Right. Well, first I will say that when Drew decided he wanted to pursue starting a business, it terrified me. I wanted nothing to do with it. I have not an entrepreneurial bone in my body, at least at that time. And I thought, what are you doing? But I thought, well, I still have my paycheck. That's fine. I can at least pay our house payment. We'll, you know, I could go get another part-time job. We'll figure it out. So he started. And then right after I lost my job because they sold and I was duplication. They were like, we don't need you. So then I was, um, then I was really terrified, but I just decided, you know what, now we've got to make it work or we're going to lose everything. And I thought at the time we were what, 32, 30, 30 young thirties. And I thought, well, if we lose everything, he could always go back and get a job, a regular job and we'll be okay. So I just thought, you know, who cares? We don't have that much stuff. If we lose it, we lose it. But I also had in the back of my mind, I've got to help him. I've, we've got to make it work. And I think we learned that we really work together well. We get along. At least we did back then. Maybe not so much. <laughs> no. Actually, worked, over the years, found that working together actually was a good way to have a more transparent level of communication. And we... You know, we knew what was going on, so we didn't have to sit down at the dinner table and try to go through the entire chronological order of the day and unpack everything that happened and tell all the nuanced stories and, oh, so-and-so did this. We just kind of were there already 
so that when we, you know, sort of turned off the business for the night, we could engage with kids and, you know, enjoy, enjoy our evenings together. Obviously with the business in the basement at that point, there was a lot of, <laughs> I got to go to the basement later kind of thing, but <laughs> you know, we, um, I would say to Kathy, back to your question is just, those were, those were formative days around the formation of, of our faith together uh, our our faith with Christ, but then our faith together as as a married couple, and the the bumpy roads of entrepreneurism uh, certainly brought us to our knees, mm-hmm. and we made you know we made church a priority, uh, we made dating a priority, we made uh, uh, praying together a a priority during that season, and it still is. That that to me has been the essence of what's allowed us to maintain a healthy marriage is praying together. And I can't just, I can't emphasize that or can't emphasize that enough. It's just such an mm-hmm. important part of, of not letting the sun go down on your anger and, and uh, having to let go of your pride, which is what, you know, is ultimately the source of that anger. And, and uh, I've had to eat a lot of crow at about 11 o'clock at night and uh, allow God to just, you know, release it in a, a release it from my soul and, and not harbor this bitterness that might've built up during the, you know, period of, of our, our day or moment in, in the evening. And, you know, ultimately we had four kids, you know, um, in addition to the two older ones that came along when we first started. So, you know, it was just a, a constant battle of activity and, and priorities and, <laughs> and trying to make all that work. And, uh, but the priority was always really around, how to how to keep our marriage healthy and uh, make our marriage our priority, uh, both in relationship sense between us, but also in a, in a prayerful relationship with God. And and felt like that if we do that, that the the other things in our life will fit in. They'll, they'll work out um, according to His plan in in time. Was that an intentional? decision that you made about your marriage or was there something that kind of made you open your eyes and go we better pay attention to this I think it was just that um at first we were both so involved in the business and so busy and then after the other two kids came I stepped out of the business and so Drew was then just in there full time and he would come home and he didn't want to talk about what it, you know, but I knew everybody there. And so I would ask quite, well, how's so-and-so doing? What's going on here? And what's, what's happening? And how was your, and he's like, I don't want to talk about it. And so you, we kind of, I think started to feel Mm -hmm. that we were kind of separate. We weren't as close as we were when we were both working full-time together. So then we were like, okay, we need to make our relationship a priority. So yeah, it, it was a conscious decision to, we're going to go have a date night every week, every quarter. We're going to leave town, it, not even leave town. Maybe sometimes it'd be a staycation, yeah. but no kids, just the two of us away for at least 24 or 48 hours or more. Um, and then, um, and I don't even know where the prayer thing, did somebody suggest no. that, but we just started every night, just we're going to take time out and we're going to pray before we go to bed together. And so it was just really a conscious we need to make sure we are a priority uh, because if our relationship isn't working, the business isn't probably going to fail. You know, our children are going to struggle. So, 
Yeah. And I will, I give all of the credit for that to Drew because he really was like, we've, this is what we're going to do. Well, you know, it's just as a, a new believer in uh, our late twenties, early thirties, um, because really our, our faith um, became an important part of our lives by virtue of what I would call the failures of commerce and, and the failures in our business. And that's what tr- certainly drove me to my knees and, ultimately surrendering my life to Christ. And, and then it's just as, you know, part of that growth and maturing as a a follower, seeing, uh, you know, I think just trying to be wise and observe what's going on around the world around what going on with peers going on with from, you know, what kind of teaching and, and coaching we were receiving around how to have a healthy marriage. And, you know, uh, those, those elements of growth just like, well, how can, how can we continue to walk out our faith and not really engage in the activity of it, of, in the discipline of praying together and quiet time with the Lord every day. And, and those things, um, I'm not perfect. Sarah's not perfect. None of us are, we're all sinners. Right. And, uh, and yet if we, if we come back and make God the source and the center, it certainly, uh, enhances this, the opportunity for our, uh, relationship to be, bonded so tightly together and be protected with this, you know, hedge of protection that we uh, can, you know, avoid the evils attempt, evil ones attempt to divide and divide and uh, split uh, relationship. Yeah, I think I don't have statistics, but there, I think it's pretty well accepted that there is, um, there are more, what am I trying to say? There's a higher percentage of divorces amongst entrepreneurs. And I think some of it goes back to what you're saying about entrepreneurs tend to be very driven. I can do this. It's up to me. It's all up to me. And so they push and push and push sometimes, many times at the expense of their marriage, their family. And um, that's part of the what launched this podcast really is to help couples see that you you don't have to sacrifice your marriage or your family mm-hmm. for the sake of the business. I mean, what do you have if you have lost all of that? Who cares if you have a great big business, right? So, well, you know, sadly, you see uh, over the last three, four months, a, a situation that nobody has any control over come in and, and uh, throw a, a left hook into somebody's gut around their th- this business that maybe they poured their entire life into and many business and owners identity. are being forced to shutter the business <clears throat> or make severe cuts. Certainly, it's affected the wealth of many people. A lot of most entrepreneurs probably have a big percentage, if not all of their wealth tied up in the equity of that business. Right. And, uh, you know, when, when the business craters and falls, what do you got left? And so it's it kind of, I think, shines a light on, you know, at the end of the day, what's really important in this life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, your business is a vital part of, you know, providing a lifestyle and a, and a, and a way to uh, engage your passion into something you love to do. And yet it's not worth sacrificing the, the, the most important things in life, which are your, your faith and your marriage and your relationship with your kids and the legacy ultimately of your, you know, your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's one thing that's, you know, sad to see so many businesses being negatively affected because you know it's it's not just the business that's that's 
uh, being lost here that there's probably a lot of other carnage going on mm-hmm. uh, on a ripple effect that uh, relates to those relationships and so forth. It's right. really sad. Yeah, and who knows yet how it's going to impact marriages and the family. I think marriages that have some cracks in it. I read an article recently about the divorce rate going up like, or filings, 25% in China once they reopened back in whenever that was, March. They were reopening a little bit when we were shutting down. Right. Um, And as the spouse of an entrepreneur, and especially when you're you know, home with four kids, doing what you can to support, because as you said, Sarah, it's our business. This has to succeed. It affects all of us. So what, what can I do there? And sometimes that business can feel like a mistress because it gets so much attention. So Mm -hmm. I think you were very wise, you guys, to, um, to focus early on, on prioritizing your marriage. And it's probably why you're at 31 years and, getting to enjoy some of the best years of your life in a beautiful space and, and continue to work and continue to uh, mentor and do the things you do. Right. So back to four little kids. <laughs> now you're, you're, you're not working as closely, but you're focusing on your marriage. Tell us about the next piece of the business, Drew, how, how the, the business grew from there. And some of the challenges, maybe, maybe no, one of the sure. biggest challenges. You know, the, the challenges, uh, obviously, in life didn't stop then. They haven't stopped yet in mm-hmm. life today. <clears throat> um, it doesn't end at some point? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, maybe know, when the, we're dead. <laughs> we, we uh, you know, moved the business out of the basement, you know, uh, within a year and a half to two years after we started, launched. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges early on in, in the transition, you know, once we kind of hit bottom and, and re-engineered the business, rebranded, refocused on, you know, a specific niche inside our uh, segment of industry, really at that point was uh, finding talent that wanted to come work for small enterprise. Um, it was, it's a difficult task. Uh, capitalization when you're growing is, is difficult. And uh, those were some big challenges at that stage. As we uh, continue to grow, you know, add employees, add customers. Certainly, I would say that the the people side of it continued to be a challenge. I'd say, you know, as as in light of the work I do today, and and the you know running and operating a business day to day, that I would say eighty five to ninety percent of the challenges business owners entrepreneurs face are related to people and leadership, and uh, they invariably always point back to something as relates to leadership and, and dealing with people and trust and, and communication. And, and, uh, along the way had, uh, picked up a couple of minority partners, uh, through the journey that uh, came on board that were very, you know, talented individuals that, uh, wanted to engage in the entrepreneurial pursuit as well. And, uh, you know, that was a plus minus as well, <laughs> had, had his issues and had his challenges, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the book we wrote, uh, this past year, my business partner and I, uh, one of the chapters was about partnerships and how they're metaphorically very similar to marriages. They need TLC. They need uh, consistent communication, meeting together, uh, being on the same page. And uh, uh, I felt like our the, the two partners I had that, that were uh, active in the business, we had pretty strong alignment, but uh, felt like there was also some cracks that began to form. 
uh, you know, later in, in, this, in the journey. Um, so, you know, those were all challenges that we faced. And uh, I would say technology became a challenge longer term around how to scale the business, um, which, which ultimately was a, a big reason that we strategically decided to merge our company with one of our um, uh, fellow industry uh, counterparts. Uh, because they had uh, some technology we felt like would allow us to really scale the business, but also uh, enhance the long-term equity position for our organization and uh, kind of make this leapfrog ahead three to five years. And uh, that turned out to be a great strategy. Uh, you know, it didn't, it wasn't easy street. It wasn't roses either and uh, had its bumping uh, turbulent times, but it was also, uh, you know, in the big picture, long term, probably the one of the best decisions we ever chose to pursue, and uh, that that decision has uh, paid huge dividends long term. That that was an acquisition. You were acquired we, by we another company? company that would, had uh, case, uh, Midwest, you know, Kansas City, Central Time Zone region uh, position. So Kansas City and St. Louis, and then the company we merged with was based out of Cincinnati and had a big presence in Ohio. Uh, down into Florida, and um, they were probably four times, three to four times our size. So it wasn't like one big company coming in and swallowing up this little bitty fish. We were very compatible, had similar cultures because of some systems and technology they'd already invested in, really allowed us to jump onto a, a platform that allowed greater scale and, and uh, expansion. It was never intended to be an exit at all. And uh, it was also, um, you know, a great way to create, I would say, one plus one equals four, five scenario. And mm. really, it was that it gave our employees a chance to become, <clears throat> excuse me, employee owners in the organization. Mm. So there's just a lot of virtues about it. It was also apparent that, that uh, you know, I, I kind of hit a, a unique crossroad uh, in, in my life, and I would call it the halftime journey. And for those who are listening that have heard of the book Halftime and Bob Buford, uh, he and I, were, I felt like I was walking alongside him as, I, as he was writing and I was reading. And, uh, and so I went through this journey of halftime and that um, really became a, an off-ramp to the day-to-day -day work I was engaged in there. And mm -hmm. What is that concept, just for people who may not have may not be familiar with that? Sure, it's, you know, I think it's something that virtually everybody goes through. Uh, you know, the book was written really more around probably entrepreneurs and business owners who, you know, build something and then they have an opportunity to transition. And it, the kind of the tagline they often used was success to significance. And uh, I would tell you that that uh, while I agree with that idea, I, I go it really is success and significance. And so uh a great deal of my work today is around working with business owners and entrepreneurs to help them be success and significant, you know, leveraging their business platform for influence and impact to uh, imp impact the lives of the people they shepherd and serve every day to not only, you know, create a great company that produces, you know, market excellence, uh, top line success, bottom line uh, profitability, but, but enrich the storyline. You know, get in there with God and leverage your business as a as a platform to uh, uh, have eternal impact and, and kingdom impact uh, on the on the lives of those who you serve in your world. So, you know, that off ramp with the 
uh, outsourced uh, HCM company allowed me to begin to pursue this kind of more purposeful journey maybe in life. And, uh, you know, I'm still a business owner, still an entrepreneur, different scale, um, different, you know, uh, target audience for sure. And, and uh, yet it's, it's very satisfying because the, the men and women I work with are running companies that influence, you know, countless hundreds of and thousands and millions of people through ultimately their customer and the ripple effect of the organizations they lead. So Sarah, fill us in on what you were focusing on as these things shifted, like when the company was um, acquired and what do you remember thinking or feeling about that shift? Um, I was mostly just at home doing kid duty and, you know, involved in volunteering, PTO, you know, booster club, whatever. But I do remember when he first started talking about merging the company, I was, I was a little sad because I thought that, you know, this is something that we start kind of started together and I've watched him grow. And I, one, I was worried because he's not a good Indian and, he would not be the top dog. And I thought, oh, I, I hope this is going to work out. But also just kind of letting go of the control of what's going to happen to the company was kind of sad. It, yeah. I, I kind of mourned. It was almost a death in, in a way, mm-hmm. in a way. But uh, And were uh, you able to express that to Drew, your concerns? I don't know if I did, did I? Yeah, we talked a lot about it. I remember no, I kind of trying remember, to keep it to myself. A, uh, the metaphor of death being there. But <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, Sarah's always been a fantastic voice of reason. Mm. Now that I think that's one of the major blessings from our marriage is just the, uh, the rationale and reasoning she offers when I've got some harebrained entrepreneurial idea or, <laughs> you know, shiny object syndrome that I'm, Chasing, chasing uh, you know, some some new uh, innovation or, you know, uh, creative new idea. And it's like, okay, seriously, reel that back in, cowboy. <laughs> but I do. do. Go ahead. Go, well, I was just wondering, Drew, do you present all of those ideas to Sarah? Or are there 10 ideas for every one that you say, hey, what do you think about this, Sarah? Yeah, do you? <laughs> <laughs> What's going yeah, on in I- there? I do. I, I would, you know, I think I generally try to get Sarah's perspective on, on ideas that might be uh, certainly out there do really value her perspective on, you know, sort of the reality, uh, the sniff test, the litmus test, whatever you call it. Right. Right. Yeah. I was going to share that, you know, I thought things were going along so smoothly and great and we were happy. And then, you know, this opportunity came along and it's like, you know, okay, let's do it. So we merged and, and it became apparent after what, a year, year and a half Mm -hmm. that in order for Drew to really feel like he had an impact on this company, we were going to have to move to Cincinnati and we had kids and, grade school and middle school and one just starting high school and they didn't want to move. I, all my family was there. His family was in Kansas City. Nobody yeah. really wanted to move. So it became apparent that 
he was going to probably step out of the business. He was still on the board of directors, um, but he was probably going to step out of the business. And I will say that I felt like our marriage kind of suffered when you left our business because it, he almost became depressed and like, what do I do now? Um, but I think the Bob Buford thing really kind it of helped. gave you some insight. That, you know, um, a lot of entrepreneurs have a tremendous amount of identity wrapped up in their, in their role yep. as the CEO, president, business owner, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I certainly had that. I still, I still have that syndrome and uh, you know, it, I think it, it's this uh, feeling of needing to be in charge. You know, there's this, you know, this alpha uh, character. A little bit of, yeah. empty nest of a business yeah yeah right yeah, yeah. so that you know I, I you know there was kind of this desolate desert-like journey for a few years actually oh, uh, wow so just time. quickly for a time context when did you step out of the business when was that we merged in 06 uh, i stepped out in early 08 kind of okay. right ahead of the recession and um so the you know always felt the timing of that was pretty virtuous. We, we uh, maintained ownership in the company, but uh, let go of my day-to-day role. Uh, Sarah said I was on the board. I was on the board for eight years until we had a recap event in 2014. And uh, at that time, stepped down. Today, we still have a, a stake in the company. So we, this is, you know, this legacy uh, has continued to carry on with our uh, involvement as stockholders, but nothing day-to-day. Uh, when I left in 08, Sarah's mom went through a health crisis and ultimately passed later that year. So it was just kind of a, you know, a season where it felt like I was hanging on. And uh, it was kind of a, a valley because, um, you know, now kind of let go of this identity and this business platform and this, you know, place that I'd been able to really exercise my leadership um, and exert that, you know, skill in, in the world of commerce. And now I wasn't really engaged in anything that resembled that. And uh, Sarah was very involved day to day with her mom's health issue. And so I kind of went from, you know, Mr. Important Business Guy to, you know, let's let's Mr. shuttle the kids Mr. to and from soccer, <laughs> soccer dad. And it uh, might not have been a great role, but. <laughs> I bet your kids loved it. I'm not sure because I'm not sure <laughs> Maybe not. best personality during we'll that. Have to, we'll do an interview with the kids one day. Yeah, I don't know that <laughs> that soccer dad and, uh, you know, one who, you know, I've had to learn to, you know, uh, not exert my coaching uh, <laughs> perspective. Everywhere. <laughs> you know, immediately upon leaving the practice field or game field. <laughs> Just got to say, I loved watching you play. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what you're describing is a bit of a renegotiation of the marriage. And I think a lot of people don't recognize that ahead of time, that who you are as a couple the day you marry is not who you are 10 years later or 15 years later or pre-kids, raising kids, empty nest. I wrote a post one time called my five husbands and about kind of the five different men that I've been married to. What Drew? 
sure Mark appreciated that. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but they were all the same man, you know, oh. and I have changed. And how boring if we aren't growing and evolving. But again, do we find ourselves suddenly, you know, 20 feet apart? Or can we be intentional about, okay, we are in a different season. Drew, you're not working. Sarah, you are in a huge caretaking and hard role, caring for your mother. One with no regrets, I'm sure, but still very hard while you're still raising kids. Right. Yeah. So talk a little bit about were there some intentional conversations? And if not, if you had a do-over of that time, what, if anything, would you do differently as a to strengthen your marriage and that shift? I think there were intentional conversations. Um bless Drew's heart because I'm kind of an oblivious person. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to go do that. You know, I would like get the kids ready for school, drop them off at school. And I run to my mom's either in the hospital, wherever she was to trying to help. And then Drew would have to pick them up and kind of get dinner going. And I roll in late in the evening and um, thinking, okay, I'm just going to fall in bed and do it all over again the next day. And I'm just, yeah. I was, you know, survival. This and Drew was just getting so frustrated, but he would, at least instead of just letting it fester, he'd be every once in a while, okay, we need to talk. <laughs> we have to talk about the huge elephant in the room between us uh-huh. Uh-huh. and kick him out. And it, they were hard conversations. Mm-hmm. And it's not like we we ever really came to a different solution or it because it was like, this is a season I have to go through and bless my mom's heart. She only lasted 10 weeks. So those 10 weeks seemed like eternity though, while we're going through them, but in the scheme of things, it was a short period of time, but um, so we didn't really change anything, but I think just getting off of your chest, how you were feeling and kind of opening my eyes to what you were going through Mm -hmm. helped, you know, help the, help the marriage, help the relationship. Yeah, I went back, you know, back to that kind of the block and tackle, like, got to communicate, got to connect, <laughs> <clears throat> carve out intentional time together. Mm-hmm. This, you know, it very, uh, you know, tragic season in your mom's life. And, <laughs> and we've got a family and, mm-hmm. and, you know, they're, they're, our lives will go on and we've got to, you know, kind of battle through this and, and serve your mom and, uh, we've got to make sure that we come out of this healthy. Yeah. That is a rough time. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and it was, it was Sarah said 10 weeks, which was really from prognosis to passing, but it was really longer than that because there was some health challenges that led up to it. So it was about a six month season and, uh, you know, it was just hard and it was hard. And I, I would tell you, just being very transparent, I was, I was a bit resentful because I just, I had just kind of entered this season of, wow, I can't wait to do stuff and go places. And I got an open calendar. I got some, you know, cash in the bank and we can do some things with life to go, you know, celebrate this, you know, uh, gift, if you want to call it that. And it went from kind of wide open playing field to this very, very narrow swim lane of be literally kind of being soccer dad, you know, just, mm-hmm. Felt and I so I, I had a I would share with you just transparently a, a 
you know, unhealthy bitterness that sort of built up during this, during this time. And it, it, you know, shame on me. And it was, you know, it's really kind of a source of embarrassment because, um, you know, what was at stake was mom's, you know, Sarah's mom's uh, health and life. And uh, that and was Sarah being Sarah. torn in so many different directions. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So what, yeah. what would you do differently? What? You're talking to Sarah because I always <laughs> ask Sarah what she needs to do differently. You know, going back, I, I don't know. I, cause I, I have no regrets. I have no remorse. I don't feel guilty Mm-hmm. that I didn't spend more time. I think Kathy was asking. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're off the hook here, Sarah. I think what I would have done, I tried to do was be more mindful that in the big long-term scheme of things in the big picture, uh, it's all going to work out according to his plan and just, you know, be, be more servant hearted, be less self-focused yeah, this isn't exactly how it was. You thought it was going to happen, but be uh, embrace embrace the reality, and and let go of your preconceived uh, notions for what this season in life was going to look like. Mm. Well, I and, appreciate your honesty, Drew. And that's long term, you know. Yeah, and again, just, I think we just, we just know, laid hope... the rest in March, mm-hmm. and yeah, well, the last. Uh, especially probably six months of her mm-hmm. life were not mm-hmm. a bed of roses either. It was just, uh, it was terrible, you know, just a terrible journey f- to watch her go through. Cause it was so yeah. not what she wanted to uh, endure. Right. And, um, and, you know, you just kind of have to embrace it and just yeah. know it's, it's temporal and. Yeah. And, and grief is a journey and honor uh, your parents, layered right? over that has been this time of quarantine where you haven't, been able to gather with family right well i'll tell you this thank thankfully and uh we count this a major blessing nobody you know certainly wants their the timing of a loved one to the passing of, and relative timing of the of a loved one to happen you know certain intervals but she passed on march 7th we were able to lay her rest publicly on the 14th and then the kind of the doors came you know the windows all shut and uh and you know, she was in a senior care facility and obviously the doors were shut on those not too long after that. So we would not have been able to go in and visit her and she would have passed without any of our, any of us being able to be by her side. So it's just God's hand was all over the timing. And when you really look at world events as relates to this micro family situation. Mm -hmm. But everyone's journey is important. Well, I, I do appreciate your your honesty there, Drew, because I I think it is, you know, uh, we are human and we're not perfect. And there are a lot of families that are facing, like you said, just monumental change that no one anticipated. Some of us are having to shift roles. Dads are having to take over maybe what mom was doing because mom has the job. So I think you know, hearing about other couples who have shifted. And I think that is a key to a healthy marriage. One of the keys, you've talked a lot about communication, but also the ability to, to pivot, to be flexible and not rigid about, well, you're the woman, so you're going to cook every night. Why? <laughs> you know, we were a team. Breakfast today. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Drew did make breakfast, he said. Yeah. 
I appreciate so much all the positive things in your marriage. You've talked about date nights. Y'all did that early on, and I think that's so important. Are there any other tools you've picked up? Do you go to marriage retreats? Do you read books? How have you learned to communicate well? I was going to say, I think um, early on in our marriage, we had uh, read a couple of books. What's mm-hmm. the, um, uh, his needs, her needs. Yeah. Uh, we oh. read that and, you know, we could, that was, I think the first time we realized, oh, we're not, we do come at it from different angles. We do mm-hmm. have different needs. Um, She's like normal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And so we did try to try to communicate yeah. or try to speak to each other in their, I guess, love language. That's what, yeah, one we did of the ones five love languages, five love materials, language. just timeless. And, uh, you know, when, when opportunities to do some sort of a marriage enrichment or marriage retreat have come up, we've, we've taken, we don't, you know, it's not like we do one every year, uh, but you know, especially if it involves some other friends and couples that we admire and, yeah. you know, if they represent a healthy marriage that would do that in the, the business owner CEO community that I lead now uh, we we uh, make marriage enrichment a uh, fairly regular part of a, mm-hmm. a gathering of our owners to really kind of place a emphasis around how important that is you know kind of what you spoke of earlier Kathy don't don't give up marriage and the importance of this and in, in light of uh, running a business too because uh, this is the one that's going to last and right. have the legacy impact on future generations of your family. And we plan some marriage retreats right. for our community, which is right. even more so, more helpful, I think, because you're really thoughtfully thinking about what what, what kind of activities, what <laughs> what kind of good, what are you going to put in the goodie bag? I mean, you're just, you're just really thinking about marriage a lot. And mm-hmm. if I think it was even helpful more beneficial to plan one and execute one than going to one. Yeah. Oh, so you planned it? You guys yes, planned it? Yeah. Oh, we awesome. Planned, we planned them for our um, CEO, CEO communities, yeah. communities and, okay. and on. And we don't, uh, you know, normally we bring in somebody, uh, you know, like a Kathy and Mark rushing to come in uh-huh. and uh-huh. the content facilitate the, you know, the good kind of the meat, but, you know, hosting it, putting it on, you know, making it a good experience. Uh, yeah that's the part we've had a, a, a role in and and it, it makes you look inwardly at like mm-hmm. you know what what would we want to experience how would we want to uh you know what would make this enjoyable and and right. for us if we're going to invest this kind of uh you know uh, capital and time to go to go engage as couples right and it's never just like a once and done but i right. really look at marriage as just something it's it's a beautiful, living, evolving organism. Mm -hmm. And we have to nurture it consistently, just like a plant. We don't stick it in the corner and expect to come back a year later and it still have beautiful blooms on it. It won't, you know, it has to be watered. We need to know the right environment for that plant. And so is marriage and two people who learn how to become us instead of me and you. You know, it's right. not a battle, but it's right. creating an us. Right. And and you're right, because it's constantly changing. Like you talked about your blog, My Five Husbands, because it he's always changing. I'm always changing. So the dynamic's always changing. So, yeah, you do have to continually work on it. Yeah. 
Any parting words that you all would like to share having to do with entrepreneurship, marriage, family, life? You know, the uh, uh, just having been asked to officiate a wedding and then engage with, uh, you know, our kids and some legacy planning activities that, and I, even I think in light of what we see in our world today, just with some of the chaos going on and so forth, but I, I, I just encourage uh, couples to engage in 1 Corinthians 13 and dive in and take a look at what love is and what love isn't, and then really uh, internalize that uh, because it's a, you know, even as I was sharing at my mom's uh, funeral service, we we unpacked this because she really, to me, epitomized love more than anybody uh, except Sarah in my life. And uh, just her, you know, so many of the traits of what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is truthful. Love protects. Love trusts. Love hopes. Love pers perseveres. Love is not Love's not envious, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, and it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love never fails, right? So love is, love is not, and if we really own those in our lives and live those out, so many of the problems in our lives would go away, so many relational problems in our marriage with, with our kids, with the our peers uh, would go away. Uh, I take that to a macro level or world events yes. would uh, wash away. And so that's a big one. And then I think the last advice I would give, and I've given this to countless uh, business leaders, is pray together with your wife. Pray together with your spouse every day. Don't let the sun uh, go down on the anger that may be harbored in your life. Um, let God get in there. When you when two people pray together, it brings you think a triangle with uh, the husband and wife being on the opposite ends of the triangle. When you pray together, you're praying with God, and that brings you together at the top of that triangle. Uh, and, and, and when you do that, you just, it really forces you to engage in what love is and what love is not. You <laughs> can't harbor bitterness, no matter how mad you might be at your spouse at that moment. <laughs> it's pretty difficult to do it with genuine authenticity when God's uh, being asked to engage in that prayer with you guys. Yeah. Together. So powerful. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart and for this redo. <laughs> and um, if, if listeners want to reach you, how should they reach you? So the business that, run, that uh, my business partner and I run is called Acumen. And uh, the website is acumenimpact.com. So my email is kind of follows suit and uh, it's Drew.Hiss, and the last name is spelled H-I-S-S, Drew.Hiss at acumenimpact.com. And Sarah also has an email affiliated with our company. Uh, she's got some various entrepreneurial duties she conducts and handles for a company, but hers, hers is Sarah.Hiss, and it's Sarah with an H, Sarah.Hiss at acumenimpact.com. Wonderful. Great. I will put all of that in the show notes. And look forward to seeing you guys hopefully soon. Take care. Absolutely. Yeah. Bye -bye. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening through to the end. You can always find a full transcript at my website, kathyrushing.com. That's Kathy with a K, rushing.com. Whether you prefer reading or are hearing impaired, this is my gift to you. 
Some podcasts charge for that service, but for now anyway, I publish the full transcript for free. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can also do that on my website or through your favorite podcast platform. And one more thing before we go. If you ever have questions about your marriage or business, you can email me at info at kathyrushing.com. Mark loves mentoring entrepreneurs, so he'll be the one to answer your business questions, but we would love to hear from you. You're building a life together. Make it a great one. See you next time.